Hello, and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I am the Associate Editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined, as always, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, it's been a few weeks. We haven't talked in a while. How have you been? I've been good. I mean, there hasn't been that much going on, so, you know, it's it's. but we're, it's going to get busy pretty soon. So we're, we're keeping an eye on things, though, as we'll talk about. Yeah, the, the calendar's moving a lot quicker than than I kind of anticipated. Can you imagine, like, this time last year, we were like, this was the heat of the playoff race. Like, the deadline yeah. had already passed. Like, right. We only had a couple weeks left in the season, and now it's like, okay, <laughs> most of these teams have played about 40, 50 games, somewhere in that range, and uh, <laughs> we still had a whole hundred plus ahead of us. It's, it's pretty nice, actually. I know. We learned to have kind of itchy tr- trigger fingers last year. It's like, oh, oh, we better update everything because it was so coming up so fast, you know, the trade deadline. And then it was gone already. And, and, and the season was over already, to your point. And so, like, now it's like, okay, we can – it's not that bad. You know, we've got a whole season. We here. can breathe a little bit. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. On that note, though, we did perform – pretty extensive updates uh our, our most extensive may updates i think we've ever done <laughs> well ever as um, a, ever but, you know, uh, we've only been around for two years or so but yeah absolutely we wouldn't have yes. done that in the past but it sort of felt like you know there were enough performance changes to warrant it and it would look odd if we didn't like you know like that doesn't look right so i'm glad we did mm-hmm and there's a lot of cases, and, and we'll get into these more specifically uh, later in the episode, but there's a lot of cases where certain guys, an, a month of their performance this season, month and a half, whatever, kind of confirms or rejects what their small sample performance looked like in 2020. Yeah. And so that can kind of, it can either kind of confirm that, oh, okay, this guy really did break out in 2020, it looks like, because he's keeping it going into 2021, or this guy really is just declining at this point. We were right mm-hmm. to decrease his value in 2020 and it will further decrease from this point forward. So mm-hmm. there's, there's some value to it. We obviously weren't, uh, we were careful to watch sample sizes and all that. We weren't necessarily updating guys based on a 10 or 15 plate appearance thing, or even, even a 10 or 15 game thing. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll get into that a, little, a lot more extensively later on in the episode. We just have a little bit of news to get to first. Um, and before we do so, I just wanted to ask you, just kind of offhand here, what what's going on with the Minnesota Twins, John? And are they going to come out of nowhere to kind of command the seller's market at the deadline? Oh, my gosh. So, uh, personal note, my wife is from Minnesota. I got married in Minneapolis. So I have a lot of her side of the family there and they're all twins fans so i I, you know i hear stuff they're not happy Mm -hmm. (laughs) um they're good people but they're not complaining like a yankee fan would but they're not happy um Um, i don't i'm in the same boat my uh my roommate's from minnesota and, and he's actually out of town right now but i've been Oh, he's not happy either. He's had a rough few weeks, especially. It's I don't know what's happening over there. Yeah, no. On paper, it just seems weird because they've so. It's not like the talent's changed all that much from the previous two years. So I'm I'm still kind of chalking it up to a weird stretch, you know, where it's like a small sample size and they'll get it together. But as time goes on, if they don't, you're right. They could be sellers. Uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that. There's been a lot of injuries there, and. <laughs> The stat that keeps going around is that they just can't win a single game of Manfred Ball. <laughs> if, <laughs> if the game is one of the seven-inning doubleheaders, they lose. If the game goes into extra innings and there's a runner on second base, they lose. Like they, Aww. they, I don't think they have won a single game that is either in extra innings or seven innings long. They didn't so get the memo. They're that's still just playing... one of those weird flukes. 
Yeah, they're still yeah. playing <laughs> P-League ball, right? They didn't get the memo that it's that it's <clears throat> that's Manfred ball now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's no reason, just looking at their roster construction, there's nothing you can look at and say like, oh, they don't have that kind of player. That's why they're struggling in these specific games. Or, yeah. oh, they have a bad bullpen. I mean, their bullpen isn't the greatest, but it's not it's more than that i i agree yeah. that there's a lot of talent still there and we're still not quite at 2019 washington nationals territory that's kind of the unofficial cutoff that people that i've been talking to at least have been using as so, like yeah. i believe they started the season 19 and 31 or something like right. that so once we get to that point is when it's like okay we <laughs> this this might be over here they might have just decided not to show up this season try again in 2022 but for now, it's still early enough, running out of time, but still early enough. Uh, but, but as you said, there's there's some names there. Um, I, I don't think they'll, <laughs> even if things really went down the toilet, I don't think there's any chance they're trading Byron Buxton with how insane he's been. But there are some names here. There's a there's a Jay Happ, there's Taylor Rogers. There's some interesting names there that could be moved if they find themselves in that position come July. Simmons, yeah. I could see. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, he would, he would have a little bit of a ripple effect on the shortstop market which we can get into as well um so that's mm-hmm. that's gonna be interesting to watch but yeah i mean i saw an, inter- uh, an interview i think dan hayes of the athletic did an interview with uh, Ted levine uh, from the twins front office and i found it curious that he said oh we're being patient we're not changing our direction yet and the word yet yeah. stuck out at me like okay well you've thought about it then right <laughs> you've started to kind of project out when you're going to need to change your direction <laughs> yeah right and it's unfortunate i mean there's a lot of talent there there's a lot of talent kind of waiting in the wings they i had them as as the favorite in the al central even despite the white Sox activity uh but that clearly isn't isn't coming into shape yet so We'll have to see how things go over yeah. the coming weeks. Still a lot of season left, as we were just saying. Right. <clears throat> it's the AL Central, so so it's, it's it's you know, it's, I don't know, you know, it's, it's been a very weird division. Sometimes, you know, the Royals started off hot and they've lost 10 in a row as this, this conversation. And, you know, it's like, it could step in. I think the White Sox are legit. Cleveland is doing, uh, it's picking up the pace a little bit more. So I think they're still maybe in the contention zone, but not sure about any of the three. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's kind of a joke that goes around uh, that none of the stats for the season matter until Mike Trout is leading the league in war. Um, and obviously, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure he is leading baseball in war right now. Uh, so those stats I count. would think so. But yeah. I will say, kind of flipping that yeah. idea on his head, I don't know if we can worry too much about the standings right now when uh, the Giants are leading the NL West. I, 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 <laughs> I'm, I don't mean to hate on them. They've been a fun team. All their veterans have been hitting. It's really fun to watch Posey and Longoria just going in belt, even Crawford going nuts this year. But uh, I, I don't think they're a better team than the Padres or Dodgers. And, and I think we just need a few more weeks for that to kind of yeah. iron itself out until we're kind of deep into the season here and standings start to matter a little bit. Right. So speaking right. of the NL West, though, and one of those uh, less fortunate teams there, this is a bit of old news, but we figure we need to cover it. Uh, we, we've discussed him at length in the past. Uh, the Rockies, Jeff Breidich, stepped down as their general manager. Uh, it seemed like it was written on the walls for a long time now I'm, it, it's a bit of a, an odd timing of this where he kind of commandeered the Nolan Arenado trade one of the bigger trades that they could have as a franchise right now and then they showed him the door a few a few months later 
So timing a little bit weird, but I guess they also, if they weren't going to stick with this guy long term, they don't necessarily want him running a potential Trevor Story or John Gray trade or even Herman Marquez. Uh, so this gives them an opportunity to kind of identify who they want to lead the franchise going forward. And, and Dick Monfort's going to have a lot of input there. He's still around and he's still, as we discussed previously on another episode, he's still a very large issue in that front office where he just meddles a little yeah. bit too much, it seems like, especially for someone who doesn't necessarily know what he's doing. Um, but that, so that's something yeah. that any interim GM or if they end up hiring someone during the season uh, to take that role full time, anyone who takes that spot is going to have to deal with him. And so not, not the most attractive situation there, but at, at least this, is it right to call this a step in the right direction? Um, it's not wrong. I'm not sure if I would go so far as to say it's right because <laughs> Dick Mountford is the problem, I think, to your point. Um, and look, you know, um, I've seen some articles where they're speculating on who the candidates might be. And it seems to be a general consensus that he likes his guys, mm-hmm. his people. So, you know, he's likely to sort of, he loves loyalty. These are the people around him already. So obviously he promoted Bill Schmidt um to the interim gm spot and who knows he may end up being there for for a longer period of time um or the ones that have been mentioned have done stints there mm-hmm. you know um where they they might return because you know he knows them so so that would be that sort of blend of inside and outside you know been there and they've they've known they've worked for dick monfort but they're outside in the sense that they've worked for other teams and hopefully it can bring a different perspective i will say this they badly need somebody from the outside to come in and straighten it out because it's been terrible you know, and I don't think anybody disagree with that. There's no sense of direction. They've been lost for years, and you know, Arenado knew it, and everybody kind of knows it. So they wholly they need a wholesale sort of change of direction and change of sort of culture, if you will. Um, so I don't know if promoting somebody from the inside is going to do that. You know, do either of those things. So I definitely think they need a breath of fresh air. Yeah, I don't know that that line is kind of concerning to me that he's gonna. That it seems like he's going to stick with the people he knows and some of the people that you would, you would expect have similar lines of thinking to him. Because I don't know how you can sit in that division with the lack of talent on your major league roster, the lack of talent in your farm, and look at the four teams you're competing with when even the D-backs were at this point looking like the fourth place team in that division. It's either them or the Giants. Obviously the Giants we set are on fire right now. But the D-backs, even they have a pretty loaded farm system and some pretty smart people in their front office. And it looks like their future is looking pretty bright. And then obviously you got the powerhouses in Los Angeles and San Diego. And then the Giants are playing well. They have smart leadership. They have big prospects. And so you just look at the competition in that division. I don't know how you can look at that and say, yeah, let's let's go get someone kind of similar to who we had. <laughs> like, I don't know how you can do that and expect it to work out. So... For their own sake, I hope they do look yeah. outside the organization. And that's not to say that anybody within the organization couldn't bring a wildly new perspective and get the team back on track. They certainly could. I just have a little less confidence in that if they've already been in the Dick Monfort, don't really know what they're doing system, yeah. <laughs> that they're going to kind of break from the norm there. Yeah. And so nothing against Bill Schmidt, who's uh, he was their um, scouting director, I believe. Um, so now he's their interim GM. He's never made a trade in his life. He's a loyal Dick Monfort guy. Um, and I've seen some articles that have sort of concerned me a little bit. Maybe it's just what he's saying in public. But, you know, he's saying things like 
you know, oh, we've got to get some wins, as if he's trying to take this season seriously and not the inevitable rebuild. And so that's led other yeah. writers to wonder, does he even know he's got a rebuild on his hands? You know, I mean, uh, <laughs> so, um, so I'm just not sure this is, you know, and again, he hasn't made a trade in his life. I mean, he's probably been in the room, you know, and obviously played a role, but... Has he pulled the trigger? No. So we'll see. With Trevor's story and potentially John Gray and others coming up, uh, you're going to have to move that. And who knows if he'll, you know, does he have a sense of trade value? Like, like you know, that's that's obviously mm-hmm. our mission here is to say what the fair <laughs> value is. Does he even know that? I don't know. <clears throat> so it's going to be fun. Yeah. Wasn't it? It was either Breidich or Montfort a couple of years ago who said that the Rockies' internal projections had them as like a 96-win team when all that the public projections had them as like a 72-win team, and yeah. then they ended up being bad as as everyone expected but them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you just you just wonder what the sense of reality is in that front office, and and I agree with you. We're not writing off Bill Schmidt yet. It's way too early here. He hasn't done anything good or bad, and that could just be kind of the the press speak of you're not going to tell your fans that you're giving up on the season right. in May. That's gonna that's not going to do do great for ticket sales, and especially with the big All Star game coming up, you know you want to you want to keep yeah. fans excited at least through that game and through all the sales that you can get from that game. Yeah. Uh, but let's let's hope he's a little bit more in touch with <laughs> with reality than the franchise has been in recent years. Yeah. We shall see. All right. Now, yes, let's move on. And this is uh, <laughs> what a segue here. Let's move on to a former Colorado Rocky who traded hands between two other teams a few weeks back. So the Yankees traded Mike Talkman, former Rockies outfielder, uh, to the San Francisco Giants for Wandy Peralta. And this came a little bit out of nowhere, but the Giants had a pretty – pretty deep left side of the bullpen, uh, both in the major leagues and in the minor leagues. The Yankees have a pretty crowded outfield, so it made some sense. Talkman, a bit of an older non like post-prospect type who's shown some, some flashes here and there, uh, but never really stolen a starting job, especially in New York with guys like Stanton and Judge and Hicks in front of him. But he, he heads to the Giants where they can they've been giving him more regular playing time here at the time of the trade we had this as a moderate overpay by the yankees so we had peralta at a flat zero in trade value um yankees excuse me the yankees also received a player to be named later so we don't know who that is yet um and then the giants acquired talkman who we had at 4.2 million in trade value uh but talkman wasn't having the greatest season wasn't really playing full time so after we updated him with his May st- or his, excuse me his April statistics in that May round of updates, uh, Talkman is down to 3.7 million in trade value, so down a little bit. Um, still in that same kind of range. Still thinking the Giants got a bit of the better end of this deal, uh, but just one of those situations where two roster crunches kind of worked out together. And so even if they're not super perfect, <laughs> and, and obviously we don't know the identity of the player to be named later, so it could be a prospect that makes these perfectly even down the road. Um, but even if it isn't, even if it is a lower-end guy, it looks like one of these situations where two roster crunches just worked out perfectly for each other, and both teams are at least yeah. somewhat satisfied <clears throat> with what they got. Yeah, and Wandy Peralta went up to 1.1 after we updated him, so it wasn't that 
okay. far off. Um, but, you know, Wandy's been sort of in and out. He, he came on when he was a rookie, you know, with an amazing slider, and he had some real promise. And then he sort of lost his control, and he lost his job from the Reds, and he bounced around quite a bit, and he was just kind of a non-entity for a while. Now he seemed to have found his control again, and so he's perking back up again, which is maybe why the, the Yankees were interested. I found it interesting, though, that when rumors of Talkman being traded earlier – um this season where you know cashman was was you know poo-pooing them like oh no we we can't we don't have any good offers out there there's nothing that that meets our sense of his value so implying that they valued him higher when this is all they got for him it's like well that's curious um so like you said maybe the pt and bnl will deal a bit more but all the, if 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 they valued him that highly they wouldn't have made this deal is my point but they did so maybe they just finally decided to take what they could get which is what I think happened because they've got a crunch there. <clears throat> yeah. I, I doubt 2021 performance of anyone here had too much to do with it, but I could see it being a bit of a factor here that Stanton has been insane. Um, Hicks has struggled a lot, but they, they're pretty committed to him. There's not really much they can do with him and his contract. They, they need him to figure it out. So he's not mm-hmm. going anywhere. Uh, Fraser, I believe, has been pretty solid. I hope I'm not no, lying. He, no, no, <laughs> um, no. It, Fraser has not gotten going. He's actually been been very bad. This, okay. This year. <clears throat> okay. Well, I know Stanton's been fantastic, yeah. and Judge has been hitting pretty well when he's healthy. He's been on and off the field a little bit there. Right, right. Um, but it, but it seems like it seemed like Stanton was kind of the biggest question mark coming into the season, just because mm-hmm. he's been hurt so often. And he's, he's usually very good when he's healthy, but he also had a couple stretches with the Yankees so far where he just can't hit the ball. <laughs> um, but I, it, you wonder if maybe there's a little bit more confidence in trading a Talkman depth piece type. Um, once you, once you know that kind of your biggest question mark looks pretty, looks pretty safe and obviously stanton could go out there and pull his hammy any day now not i, I really hope he doesn't because he's fantastic to watch but obviously he could so it's it's not saying that oh he's he's made it through the first month of the season he's going to be healthy for all 162 of course not yeah but yeah. i wonder if there's just a little bit more confidence there that kind of made them a little bit more okay trading talkman for a, well, a different roster need i think the biggest driver is that once again out of option status talkman was out of option so mm-hmm. they couldn't send him down you know, when they need to move players around on the roster, as is inevitable. You know, they've got Brett Gardner, you mentioned Frazier, Hicks, Stanton, Judge. There's just no room for Talkman, and they had no other choice, which is why he was in the trade rumors as long as he was, because everyone realized they got to move Talkman. What else they can do with him? They can't fit him anywhere. So I think they just took what they could get. <clears throat> yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it looks like Frazier's the only one of that bunch with options. And um, I think he only has Judge one might have one, but you're, but you're never optioning Aaron Judge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. It's, it's his last option. Yeah, yeah, Judge has all three if they want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay, so pretty, pretty minor trade, but pretty interesting still, and uh, yeah, seems fairly even on both sides. Uh, let's go on to a move that was a little less surprising but maybe maybe more surprising in how long it took to happen so the braves finally re-signed shane green here it was really weird just how long he hung around the market and now Mm -hmm. he signs a one-year contract with them worth one and a half million it's going to be prorated since he signed it a month into the season so it'll end up in the 1.1 1.2 million range and he will start with uh their triple a team 
just to get ready back into game shape uh, so he can make it back into that bullpen. And, and the Braves obviously needed the help. Their bullpen's been pretty messy this season. Uh, they're, they've had a bit of a messy season in general to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's just shocking to me that it, it seemed like Shane Green was holding out. Uh, by all reports, he was holding out because he just wasn't getting contract offers to his liking, to his value, to, 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 to the dollar amount that he wanted. Uh, but then he takes this deal, just one and a half million. You think he's worth more than that, even if he's he's not some lockdown closer. He's a middle reliever. Yeah. But you think that's worth more than one and a half million, especially given by at least two, three weeks into the season, there must have been 10, 15 teams that considered themselves contenders and could use an extra bullpen arm. Right. Um, so, yeah. So I'd pay- that it took this long. Yeah, on paper we have him as worth 2.4 million at this point in the season. So you know, and reports are that he really enjoys playing with the Braves, and that was they were his first choice, and he really wanted wanted that to work out. So he might have taken a little bit less to play with them than somebody else. Um, he, ideally, he probably wanted like three or four from the Braves, and he, he just didn't get it. So he finally just threw in the towel and said, yeah. "I'll take what you can get." Um, so. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit of an underpay for the Braves, and you know, I guess they, from a negotiation standpoint, played that one well. Um, but look, I think there may be something else going on too. Um, so we think he's worth 2.4. Um, he probably is, but he's 32. He's been around the block quite a bit. He may be in decline a little bit. Sounds like it, and judging from what we see on paper, that seems to be the case. So there may be a sense of con- lack of confidence. You know, he might decline further. So a little bit of a risk. So that's a factor as well. It's not some egregious underpay. I wasn't expecting him to get ten million or anything crazy like that. But right, right. Uh, yeah, three to four million, something like that. Probably it, it was probably his asking price, and like you say, his value at this point in the season is at about the mid twos. Yeah. So even even something like two and a half million and then prorated would have wouldn't have raised my eyebrows as much. But right. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm pinching a little bit too much over <laughs> just a, a million dollars or so. Yeah. Which uh. Now that I say that sentence sounds absolutely ludicrous. I'd, I'd, I'd take an extra million dollars, sure. But uh, yeah. <laughs> when we're talking baseball, we're talking Monopoly money here. So Yeah, and, and, you know, it's a weird time of year where, like, you know, at the trade deadline, you know, typically, you know, if they want – if a GM wants somebody, they'll, and if, if it's a little bit over their budget, they'll go and ask the owners for permission. We're not quite there yet, so it may have been this weird timing thing as well where, like, no, nope, we can't go over this. We still have our set budget for the year, so it is what it is, you know. And then later when they make a trade, they might go over. But Yeah, and typically teams have kind of a little bit of budget space put aside for those deadline additions, and so maybe mm-hmm. it's just teams didn't want to dip into that already. Like, they, they – recognize that if they spend one and a half million on Shane Green today, that's one and a half million less they can spend on Chris Bryant at the deadline or whoever they're targeting there. Yeah, um, right. So maybe it's just kind of allocation of resources kind of thing. I don't know, but <clears throat> right, right. Weird situation all around, but now that he's probably the last, uh, the last real free agent. Um, I guess, I guess that's a transition into, <laughs> Someone else who hit free agency just today, uh, somebody by the name of Albert Pujols, if you've heard of him. Uh, so he mm, rings a bell. <laughs> he was very <laughs> abruptly DFA'd by the Angels last week. Uh, it, everybody, it, it was weird in that nobody was overly, su- overtly surprised that 
the Angels decided that his production wasn't cutting it. They needed to give those at-bats to Shohei Otani and Jared Walsh instead. That's not the surprising part. The surprising part is that we've known that for like three years now. <laughs> like, yeah, right. I'm, I'm pretty sure three or four years ago was when it's like, all right, Angels should probably try to work something out with Pujols here, give him a front office position, half of his salary, whatever, get him off the roster into a coaching position, a front office position, whatever. It, it's time for that. His production is... is non-existent yeah. that that point happened about three or four years ago and then he hung yeah. around and then he just gets cut very unceremoniously and so obviously he was very very underwatered i, I believe he had either zero or slightly negative on-field projected value no uh, so, so so yeah that's the whole thing we have him at minus 5.2 <laughs> he's, he's hurting the team it's not like it's like you know you can you can squeeze out a little bit of value in miguel cabrera you know there's a couple of guys who are deeply underwater in their contracts but they still have a little bit of field value uh pool holes is not one of those guys he was just negative 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 you know he's you're hurting your team if he's on the field and we knew yeah. that for a while so I, I bristle when i hear some commentators like oh he'd be a good fit somewhere else and fans are like no no you don't realize he's He's a negative field value player at this point. So it, it's it's nobody's going to take him, not just for the contract, but even at a, you know, at this point you can get him for the prorated, you know, minimum salary because the Angels are paying the rest of it. Um, but uh, logically, there's no reason to do that because he's negative value. I mean, yeah. It, it makes your team needs to worse, Pujols needs to be paying his team five million dollars to make signing him worth it, essentially. Right, right, or, right. Or I and guess I don't want to get into look speculation. That, the way you could look at that is that he yeah. needs to bring five million dollars of extra ticket sales, marketing, whatever, to the team, which isn't going to happen yeah. at this stage of his career. He might give him a little bump, but I'm not. Probably I'm not looking five million dollars here. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know. If he signed with an independent league team, of course that would help, you know, oh, yeah. ticket sales for that. But but a major league team, I don't think so. Yeah, because um, everyone knows he's done, except apparently him. He still that was the, <laughs> based on the reporting I saw, he still didn't quite, you know, see himself as a bench player, and um, and you know, so I think I think it's just one of those things. He's had a great career, obviously. Give him all the doing in the world, but he needs to own up to the moment he's in right now. He's done. He should be done. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like everyone, like 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 you said, in the immediate wake of it, there was a lot of speculation of, oh, the White Sox need a DH, and oh, Oakland always takes a chance on these post-prime Hall of Fame mm -hmm. sluggers, whatever. Like, no, mm -hmm. he's not going to fit either of those rosters because he's not going to help either of them on the field. He's just going to no. block players, not worth the roster spot. Right. Um, it seems like everyone after right. that kind of stage was pretty on board with the idea of him you know, one of those farewell contracts with the Cardinals, either now or end of the season, whatever. Um, he uh, he seems yeah. like he wants more than that. The one other location that could make a little sense maybe is Colorado, because I could see that being kind of the perfect storm of a front office that might actually think he's still good <laughs> and think he's actually going to help the team on the field. Plus, less risk if he doesn't, because the team's going to be bad anyway. Might put a few more butts in the seats. Would be fun to watch him hit in Colorado. The only issue there is that they have CJ Crone, who's playing very well. I, I believe he's hurt right now, but it's more of a short-term, yeah. like couple-week injury, not a whole season thing. But he's been hitting very yeah. well, and they're going to they're gonna want to uh, flip him at the deadline if they can. So they're not going to mm -hmm. want to block him with Albert Pujols. So 
that yeah, that would okay. have been the one spot for me, but now at this point it does look a lot more like he's either going to hang around in the minor leagues or independent league somewhere and or end up with the Cardinals on a short little deal. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, uh, yeah, he should just have a one-day contract, say farewell. You know, everybody ends happily. That's that's all I can see at this point. Yeah. Unfortunate, but we we were blessed with a very exciting, incredible first half of his career, and he just never quite got on the right foot. I, he never was super healthy, aged pretty poorly with the Angels, and this is just kind of where we ended up. But hell of a career. Congrats, Albert. And it would be fun to see him take one last at bat for the Cardinals. So crossing my fingers for that. Yeah. There you go. All right. Now we got some very minor transactions to just kind of fly through here. We're going to go a little bit quicker through these than usual even. Uh, because we're already half hour in and we got a lot of update stuff to talk about. So, very quickly, the A's acquired Skybolt from the Giants in exchange for cash. They had DFA'd Skybolt a couple weeks prior. Um, again, just a roster crunch thing there. He was. They have many minor league outfielders on their 40-man, and he was kind of the lowest one on the totem pole. He'd already used an option, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they cut him loose, but then uh, Giants picked him up. I don't think he actually played for their major. Oh, he did. He didn't appear in two games. Uh, with the Giants, got one plate appearance. Uh, but then after that, they had to cut him as well. And the Giant, or the A's within that time span had some injuries, had some spots on the 40-man open up, decided to pick him back up. But that's all it is. He's one of those low-value types that's just going to hop around waivers until, until slash unless he picks up some playing time and does something with it. So just a depth outfielder there. Anything to add there? Always has the always has the great name, Skybolt. He's a <laughs> superstar quality name. Wish he could play that well. Yeah, unfortunate. He he was fun <laughs> from from draft day one when it's like they really drafted a guy named Skybolt, and I think he was a third or fourth rounder or something. And he was one of those toolsy types with upside, and presumably there's still a little bit in there. He's got some pop. He's a switch hitter. He plays a decent outfield, but he's strikes out a fair bit. So. He's, yeah. More of a depth piece. Yeah, at this he's. Point. He, yeah, he hasn't really shown much else than that. All right, sticking in the AL West, the Angels acquired Drew Butera from the Rangers. Did you know Drew Butera was on the Rangers? Because I didn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe he was in their minor league system, but still. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, he was on their taxi squad. It looks like. Uh, but yeah, the Angels acquired him from the Rangers for cash considerations. Again, this is just a third, fourth string catcher just popping around the league. Um, well, I believe he are is you on get their the active. Other... Yeah. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> I think you know more I was, about this I than I do. I was going to say, <laughs> so, so um, prior to that, uh, the Angels needed a backup catcher, so they activated, uh, they, they promoted um, Jack Kruger, who was one of their farmhands, uh, kind of a low-value depth catcher as well. But then they DFA'd him to get Butera, from the Rangers, but then the Rangers claimed Kruger from the Angels. <laughs> so it was basically a swap of backup catchers. Yeah, I missed that part. Good catch there. <laughs> uh, and this is all, it looks like this is all stemming from the Angels uh, losing Max Stassi to concussion protocol. Yeah. And so yeah. it'll be, and this is from a week ago, I admittedly have not been following rosters as closely as I have in the past. I, I don't know what it's been. I've just been, I haven't even been busy or anything. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't been following things as closely in the past. So I'm not, I'm assuming Butera's still with the team. 
I think it's been less than yes, a week. Last time I checked. Yeah. So yep. it's it's yep. a Kurt Suzuki, Drew Butera behind the plate. Lots of experience between those two. That uh, that's how. That's I'll what they it. wanted, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what they wanted. All right. Um, one that's always fun here. The Cubs acquired Trace Thompson from the D-backs. I believe this was just the other day. Um, for cash considerations, Trace Thompson, outfielder, brother of Clay Thompson. Fun story there. He was with the A's for a little bit, stuck in the Bay Area, and had he's never really hit <laughs> in the big leagues, but oh. solid defensive outfielder, depth piece, whatever, and he'll be with the Cubs' uh, AAA affiliate in Iowa. Yeah, he's been a, a you know quad A guy for quite some time here, so the point where we sort of ignored him at this point because he's not going to make anything at this point of his career. He's still just a depth guy. Honestly, quad A might be a little bit generous even. Uh, according to yeah. this MLB TR article, he is slashed 229, 288, 417 in AAA. <laughs> that, you yeah, probably want to be doing a little bit better than that. <laughs> yeah, no. But, I mean, it's like the other guy that comes to mind with similar skill set is Keon Broxton, who's been bouncing yeah. around from team to team and hasn't quite come on anymore. You know, once thought of as kind of a higher-end prospect, but just never really hit, you know, and still got a glove just like Thompson does, but you know, if you can't hit, you're going to, you're going to bounce around like this. Yeah. I think the biggest difference between them is Broxton just has the better glove and a bit more power, or at least he's accessed his power at the once in a while in a way that Thompson hasn't. Yeah. So that's why, that's why you see Broxton. Yeah. That's why you see Broxton as the 25th, (laughs) 26th man on a roster every now and then while Thompson, it looks like hasn't been in the big league since 2018. Uh, But yeah, Another minor transaction was one of those super low-value DFA types. And then the last one, speaking of DFAs, we had a bit of a <laughs> bit of a roller coaster this last couple weeks for Jacob Nottingham. So, backup catcher with the Brewers, he was a part of the uh, <laughs> he was a part of the Scott Casimir trade from Oakland to Houston way back when, and then was immediately flipped. I, I think that following offseason. Uh, to the Brewers as part of the Chris Davis package there. And so interesting catcher, kind of after that point, really lost a little bit of prospect shine, but kept working through the majors. I believe he started a playoff game for the Brewers last year. I might be making that up, but that sounds right to me. It (laughs) Um, does, now that you mention it. They had that one weird game where they batted, like, Ryan Healy third against the Dodgers, even though Healy would gotten, like, less than 10 plate appearances for them that season. The Brewers were weird in the playoffs last year. Um, okay, all right. But I digress. <laughs> Nottingham <laughs> had a bit of an adventure. He was DFA'd, and then I believe did he just go straight to the? Yeah, he was DFA'd and went to the Mariners, and then the Mariners DFA'd him, and he went back to the Brewers. And as you told me a few minutes ago, he was then DFA'd again by the Brewers. So yes, some back and guy. forth for Nottingham. Uh, he's he's along those Butera lines where. Not necessarily the same level of experience as Drew Butera, but just kind of, you know, the third string catcher is going to bounce around on waivers for a while. Doesn't have a whole lot of value. Nottingham maybe has a little bit of prospect shine left in there, but not enough to not enough to warrant keeping yeah. him on the roster. Uh, and once again, season. he's out of he's out of options, and yep. that is why he's bouncing around. Um, so he, he gives teams no other choice; they can't send him down. So he ended up DFAing. He gets picked up on waivers because he's still relatively young. He's 26. To your point, may still have a touch of upside. Got some power, you know. So like, he's not the worst gamble in the world if you're 
especially if you're a struggling team, you know, maybe Pittsburgh could use another backup catcher. Maybe, you know, Colorado could, you know, he'll find Mm -hmm. probably a home because again, he's only 26 and a team that has a little roster space doesn't mind that he's out of options might be out, might be a better home for him. Yeah. And then just some quick hits on news here. We can talk a little bit more about anything you want to, uh, but I'll just fly through a few of these right here. Uh, Jordan Zimmerman retired. He was also with the Brewers. I think he got one last outing for them, and just I, I think he said his body just wasn't wasn't going anymore for him. Yeah. So congrats on yeah. a career, Jordan. He's been in Zimmerman. decline. Yeah. Yeah, Dude. he's been in decline for a long time. Yeah. So. Yeah. But that, always a yeah, bummer. That was the right the, move. When, Good for him. Yeah. Always a bummer when the body goes out before the mind does. You look at a case <laughs> yeah. like Ty Buttry that I believe we discussed where. He just wasn't. Yeah. He just didn't want to play baseball anymore, and so he got to kind of leave on his own terms. But Zimmerman's body failed him yeah. before he was necessarily ready. So tough decision there, but exciting career. Had that no hitter. I'll never forget the last day of the season with Washington and Steven Souza Jr. made that insane catch for the last out of it. Mm. Uh, some reason that that game just sticks in my mind really well. So cool. Fun career, yeah. Jordan Zimmerman. Um, a few other quick hits here. Jacob DeGrom's been bouncing around a little bit on the injured list. He has a, a tight side, it sounds like. Uh, <laughs> hoping for the best there because he's been absolutely insane this season. Uh, Dustin May, Tommy John sur- surgery, very unfortunate there. He was he was actually missing bats this year. He was looking like the stuff was matching the results yeah. for once and has to yeah. go under the knife. Um, Mike Soroka's having some setbacks with his Achilles also unfortunate i was really looking forward to seeing him pitch this year uh yoshi Sutsuno yeah. got dfa'd by the rays that seemed a little bit overdue but also wow that did not work out for the Rays. <laughs> no you don't see them taking a chance with con- fixed contracts too often like that um but granted that was not a huge commitment it's not he's not like he's owed that much money i could see him getting picked up by somebody um especially if, assuming he clears waivers he's got a little bit of field value well, a little bit of a, a sense that he, you know, there may be something in in the tank there that he can help with. Um, you know, yeah. it's not much, but it, it, it's worth a flyer. Um, so yeah, he has some <clears throat> versatility. He's got some power from the left side. You can see him being a fit somewhere. Yeah, uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, and then last couple bits. Uh, looks like some COVID outbreaks for San Diego and for the Yankees. So unfortunate there. Keeping a close eye on those and what they kind of mean for rosters and how their next handful of games go and then last one exciting times in seattle i believe uh tonight actually will be the debuts of jared kelnick and logan gilbert two of their top prospects uh tonight as of the time of recording i believe (laughs) this this game this will be posted on friday most likely and so those debuts will have already happened so i hope they go well because i'm really excited especially for kelnick I'm, i'm excited to watch him he seems like He's one of those prospects who could be the next big thing. He's got the chip on his shoulder. He's he's going to be fun to watch for sure. He is. Um, and, and uh, you know, I just want to say, I, I know the whole controversy about the, the president, you know, getting fired and all that stuff. But, but you know, to, to be fair, Kellenick had not played above high A as far as I know. So it's not like he was screaming, you know, to be on the roster from day one. Yes, he's a huge talent. We know that. But he did need a little bit more seasoning. You know, and but you know, but I'm not going to defend the Mariners for gaming the service time. Um, but but he did need a little more seasoning, and we'll see how he does. So I'm looking forward, but I'm looking forward to seeing him. Um, obviously, he's he's yeah. 
you know, <clears throat> he's he's one of the prized prospects, the Mariners, one of the future potentially faces of the franchise, so along with Julio Rodriguez and some interesting young pitchers. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be very exciting to watch that sort of young core come up in, in Seattle. Um, I, I think they got a lot a lot of spark there. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and I just wanted to comment on the, the, the Padres COVID situation. If you look at roster resource right now, you'll be surprised to see who's on their 26-man roster in San Diego because after all the sort of wheeling and dealing they did to put such a strong roster together right now, They've got Brian O'Grady, Patrick Kivlihan, and John Andrioli on their 26-man run. Guys, huh. never heard of. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I'm just pulling this up now. They got, it looks like both Brian O'Grady and Cucupita Marcano, who is a very yeah. fun name, but I didn't, that wasn't a person I knew existed until like spring training this year, I'll be honest. Yeah, no, he's on the prospect <laughs> list for a while. It looks yeah. like both of them. Yeah. yeah, both of them are penciled into their starting lineup. Yep. <laughs> um, this uh, It looks like at least their rotation's pretty intact, and, and I say intact in air quotes here because Blake Snell can't find the strike zone and Nelson laments dealing with his own problems. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, they got, a, they got a pretty solid two-thirds of a lineup <laughs> on the injured list right now. Yeah, so... Um, and it looks like, yeah... <laughs> Good luck, San Diego. <laughs> you guys might need it for the next week or so. Yeah, hopefully, no, hopefully the regulars come back. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm nothing against those replacement level guys they got, but they are clearly replacement level. They're like, you know, 30, 31 years old, and <laughs> been around the block. Just yeah. they're warm bodies. Okay, so that's what San Diego's dealing with. And it does seem like uh, it's Tatis and Myers who actually have COVID. It, it just going off of what Roster Resource is saying here. Yeah. And then Hosmer, Mateo, and Profed, Jerks and Profar are uh, for protocol for contact tracing, it seems like. So maybe they get those three back a little bit sooner than they get uh, Tatis or Myers back. And so they can at least have some semblance of a major league lineup going. <laughs> that's right. All right. So that's it for news. A uh, lot to cover since it's been three weeks since our last episode didn't even mention the uh a's relocation story i don't think we need to get into that that's not very trade value adjacent and i don't think either you or i as as a's fans need to belabor any of those <laughs> any of that nope. debate any further i, I think we've, it, we've seen enough yeah. of it yep there's a time and place for that <laughs> yeah. not tonight <laughs> Yeah, I, I wish there didn't have to be a time and place for it. I'm yeah. so over it. I know. Uh, but let's, uh, again, pretty solid transition here. Let's move on to our trades of the week. Uh, we actually have two of them this week, and the first one is between the A's and the Marlins. So this one's from user Zoomass. And here the Athletics would pick up uh, right-hand pitcher Adam Simber, reliever from the Marlins, 0.8 million in trade value, as well as shortstop Miguel Rojas, who I have loved for years now, and I'm, I'm on board with this already, <laughs> 8.1 million in trade value for Rojas. And in exchange, they'd send the Marlins uh, first base slash outfield prospect Greg Dykeman, who's at 4.2 million in median trade value, and younger outfield prospect Brian Welvis, Welvis, yes, Welvis, at 4.6 million in trade value. So of those two, Dykeman is an older, you know, a bit of an older prospect. He was an older draft pick out of college when he was selected, and obviously losing the last season to COVID didn't really help or anything. So he's an older, high minors, lefty slugging corner outfield bat. Actually did play a little bit of center field in the fall league in uh, 2019, I think that was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was, it seemed like he handled himself pretty well out there. So potentially a, a 
an all-three outfield position type guy. And then mm-hmm. Brian Buelvis is a more exciting, younger, international prospect. I, I believe he's making his way. He might be in – is he in low A or high A? He, the minor uh, leagues are back. I forgot to even mention that. The minor yeah. leagues are back, and it's exciting. <laughs> and it's confusing, too, because like like the A's um, – like Stockton affiliate used to be their high A, and now it's their low A, and I think that's where he is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That 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 definitely does sound right because I probably saw Stockton and immediately thought, oh, yeah. high A, but right. no. no, low A makes more sense for him. But he's a he's a toolsy big upside guy who's also has a little bit of the performance to back up the tools at least in the lower minors. Um, yeah. So he's a bit more the, the the values are pretty similar, but he's probably more of the prize of this deal, um, especially considering the Marlins have kind of their first base situations already a little bit crowded right now between the major, <laughs> major league pieces and a prospect like Lewin Diaz. And they even have a pretty crowded outfield with uh, guys like J.J. Blade and some of their post-prospect guys like Monty Harrison, Lewis Brinson, etc. Um, so I don't know if this deal makes the most sense for the Marlins. It makes a ton of sense for the A's. They have a bit of an outfield glut. Um, these are two of their these are two of the guys that aren't necessarily a part of the current outfield crunch, but will be down the road. And so they're clearing out a bit of space there. Plus they're pushing in some chips in. They don't have a lot to trade from right now, but yeah. they're pushing in some trips in uh, some chips in to make a legitimate upgrade at shortstop. Elvis Andrews has been atrocious. Miguel Rojas is a significant upgrade there on both sides of the ball. It looks like, and then Adam Simber, a funky sidewinding right-handed reliever and, and their bullpen has been pretty beat up too. Uh, they got like half a bullpen on the injured list right now, so he can kind of slot in there pretty comfortably. So I love this for them. Um, not not sure it makes the most sense for the Marlins, though. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll echo those thoughts and add to them. For, I think for the A's, you know, I know they had you know very limited options in the offseason. They needed a shortstop after losing Semyon, and they had to swing a deal with Texas for Elvis Andres. But you know he's been done for a while. You know, he, he is he's still relatively okay defensively, but his batch just is atrocious. It's the worst, you know, I think it's the worst uh, of all the players who qualify for plate appearances. I think he's dead last. You know, he's just hitting soft grounders pretty much every time or striking out. So anyway, they need a definite offensive upgrade because the A's are in first place and they're clearly a contender this year. And they're not going to be able to do that without you know, shorn up some holes like the one they have at shortstop. Rojas would be a huge upgrade. He's a perfect fit for them because he doesn't cost too much, either in salary terms or in prospect capital terms. But he's a two-ish war shortstop, so he's a clear upgrade over a negative war shortstop like Andrus. You know, there's probably a three-war net gain there. Um, that's the first point. The second point is he has an option year for 2022, so which the A's might be interested in picking up if they made this deal. Uh, because um, their potential shorts up of the future, Nick Allen may not be ready by next year, and his his bat is still questionable as well. So, so it's kind of a perfect fit from a number of angles for the A's. Um, to your point, the Marlins, you know, may not need these two particular prospects. You could probably swap them out with somebody else. But I think they may have, you know, if they wanted to make a deal, they could probably pick something that interested them. You know, their strength is their young pitching. They've got a great starting rotation. And, and that will be great for years to come if all luck holds. Um, but some of their prospects have not worked out. Brinson is looking like a bust. Monte Harrison, has been his value has been declining for a while because he hasn't broken out. So you could argue that they still need some some players there to kind of shore up because they're if you, if you want to think about it as a rebuild, I don't know that they do anymore. They think they're almost there. But they've still got some holes to fill with young players. And so... 
you know, maybe there's someone yeah. interested in. I mean, if you look at these from a, a comparison standpoint, Dykeman is kind of a younger left-handed version of Mark Canna, where he's basically a corner guy and can play a passable center. Welvis, maybe all if he if he hits his upside, could be another Loriano type. Um, so those are both best case scenarios, and these are prospect values. So I mean, yeah. the, pro- the probability of those happening may not be real, but I'm just saying from a comparison standpoint, what you might be getting if if things worked out beautifully for the Marlins. But you know, they could pick they could swap out a couple of their prospects and make this deal work. Yeah, a couple other points. Uh, the Jed Lowry comeback is absolutely amazing, but. It fooled me. I don't me. know what it means for 2022. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> 37 I, years I, old. I didn't. I didn't expect that. Yeah. <clears throat> I I expected him to maybe be a bench bat that was ready for the season in like May because he was coming off a of surgery and didn't get a full spring training and instead he's the starting second baseman and he's been fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but I don't. <laughs> yeah. That that does mean that's a position that they'll have to fill for 2022 i guess they could bring him back but at that point he's 38 and are we really going to keep making this gamble again i don't know um but to that point rojas does have the positional flexibility where if nick allen is ready halfway through the season and you pick up that option on rojas you just start nick allen at shortstop where he's an excellent defensive uh, player one of the best defensive infielders in the minor leagues start him at shortstop you can slide rojas over to second base and boom you're good yeah good Uh, so there's that and then uh just personally, as far as the prospects the A's give up here, I'd probably fall a little bit on the lower end of the values for Dykeman because he is older, hasn't really he hasn't really had that big season where it's like, yep, this guy's older, but he crushes the ball. Like mm-hmm. like Seth Brown had a season like that um, a couple years ago where it's like, yeah, this dude's 26 in AAA and he's in Vegas and the ball is juiced, whatever, but he's just killing the ball. He has however many home runs it's clear that this guy can hit like Dykeman has had some flashes, but he hasn't necessarily had that season. Mm -hmm. Um, And since he is a little older, I'd probably lean a bit lower on his value. So even if we call him a 3.4, which we have as the lower end compared to the 4.2 median um, on the flip side, I'd probably be a little bit higher on Buelvis than the median value. I'd probably lean closer to the high value. So it would kind of even out here. Buelvis is one of those. He's probably the most exciting I don't know if you can even call him a sleeper prospect anymore, but he's the most exciting sleeper-ish type prospect in a pretty thin Oakland system mm-hmm. where he's really, he's the one you can look at and say like, this guy could break out this year or next year and be a top 100 type guy. Yeah. Um, but so, so I think those guys kind of even each other out as far as the way that I look at them and, and obviously the values say what the values say and other evaluators who have actually seen these players more recently than I have will have, uh, much more informed opinions on them, and that and those those informed opinions are the ones that lead to our values. But that's just kind of how I see it as a as a fan. Fair enough. But as I said, like the steal a lot for the A's, and and kind of as you alluded to, it seems like there's a way to make it work for the Marlins. Yeah. So yeah. thank you for that submission, Zoomass, and let's move on to number two here. So this one's from Saw two three six four, and I actually had not looked at this one until now, and. Oh boy, do I like it. (laughs) (laughs) So this is between the Braves and the Cubs here. And the Braves, uh, let's start with the Cubs end of this, actually. So the Cubs will be acquiring left-handed pitcher Jared Schuster, uh, who we have at $6 million in trade value. I don't recognize the name, so I'm going to assume he's either a 2019 or 2020 draft pick. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that sounds right to me. (laughs) Um, and, And so he's at six. And then the Braves acquire... 
$10 million in cash to help offset the salary of one Craig Kimbrell, <laughs> who we have at negative 6.7 in trade value. And this is fun. <laughs> the, the Braves have had their bullpen issues, like we alluded to earlier when we were talking about Shane Green. Um, and Craig Kimbrell looks like he might be back. Maybe not all the way, but he's looking a lot better than he was near the start of that Cubs contract. Yep. And putting him back in a Braves uniform, it's just fun. I always love those comeback type stories. I think everyone does. How could you not love it? Uh, but this this does seem like it makes a fair bit of sense on both sides. I mean, the Braves, they presumably don't want to take the entire Kimbrel contract on, and they presumably be willing to give up a little bit of their mid to back end talent in order to have the Cubs eat some cash. Um, I, I'm assuming the Braves will want to make some other additions at the deadline, and they might need some money available for that, some more money available than uh, they would have if they took on the majority of Kimbrel's contract. So I think they'd be willing to, to give up a slightly better prospect like Schuster um, in order to have the Cubs eat more cash. So I like that end of it, and obviously Kimbrel just makes a lot of sense for their roster. And the Cubs, they've been a little bit better than expected, I think, this season, but still not quite the kind of team that that you know you you ride out through the season that you add to at the deadline and try to make one last run i think they still just have too many holes i think they actually have some decent competition in the central i think that division's been a lot more fun than a lot of people expected the reds have been hitting and i i (laughs) i love the reds they're just such a fun team uh the brewers have been clicking with their i think they lost a series to the cardinals this week but their starting pitching has been insane between mm-hmm. Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff and Freddie Peralta. Mm-hmm. And then the Cardinals, who a lot of people had as their favorite because of Arenado. I don't think they've quite hit their stride, but they've still been playing pretty well. So that's three pretty solid teams that the Cubs would kind of have to leapfrog because I don't think any of those teams are taking a wild card spot necessarily. So don't think the Cubs are really looking at the postseason here. And if they're not, then they should probably capitalize on Kimbrel before he yo-yos back in the other direction and suddenly he's untradeable again. Yeah. Um, okay. So the Cubs are on the fence. They don't know if they're buyers or sellers yet. This assumes that they're going to be sellers. I agree with you that they probably should be, which means Bryant's probably a goner as well, and maybe somebody else too. Um, but Kimbrel is an obvious one. Um, so yeah, I think everyone. I don't want to speak for everyone, but I certainly thought Kimbrel was was pretty much done. He's uh, 33. I mean, you know, he's pitched. He's had a good career pitching hard every year, and like maybe you're just like, okay, maybe it's just the toll it's taken on his body. You know, you figured he was probably done. He is definitely perked up though. I don't know if it's the, uh, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I haven't looked into it too much, um, but I will say that okay, so he's still owed 14 and a half million dollars as of this point. Um, we have his field value at 7.8. So imagine if he were, you know, a little bit younger and making league minimum or one or two, you know, that would be a surplus of five or six. So it's not like when we say he's got a minus 6.7 trade value, he's a bad player. He's just owed much more than he's, than he's even worth it. But he's, but his performance has been creeping up so much. Now I, I should note that quite often when we start to do these updates during the mid season, we, we have what we call the October bonus, which is sort of we, we apply an extra month in the anticipation that whoever's going to acquire this person in trade will want to use them for a postseason run in October. And that's essentially a free month. Um, since I did the values for the pitchers, I didn't apply that yet for Kimbrel because, A, I wasn't sure if he was totally back yet. I wanted to see if it was just a small sample blip or whether it was real. So we'll see in the next update. Uh, if it's real, then he will get the October bonus, which means that field value is going to 
either go up or not go down, um, you know, at all or very much. But the salary is going to continue to go down because the time is going to run that. In other words, his trade value will get closer and closer to zero and may not go positive, but the minus 6.7 will likely, you know, go down to minus two or three or maybe even zero at a certain point. So, um, so they've got a trade chip on their hands. They're not going to get a huge amount unless they kick in cash, but it may not even have to be this much at the trade deadline if the trends are holding like this. So, but even so, um, this proposal has a little bit of an overpay here and maybe it, it, it's anticipating that. So, um, so as of this point, I think it's still a fair deal, you know, all things considered, um, you know, where the Braves could get a close. And the other thing I wanted to say is there's not really a closer on the market. When you think about this, this coming trade deadline, you know, there's not too many relievers that you could say, wow, we really need him to lock down our ninth inning. You know, there's Rich Rodriguez, who's been kind of a setup man. He's having a really good season again. He's been very solid and he's definitely a desirable reliever. But it's hard to say he's a closer because he's been in Pittsburgh and where the winds aren't yeah. really meaning anything. And he wasn't even the closer there for a long time. So it's it's not the kind of guy you want to win a World Series with. You think he's a World Series. Whereas Kimbrell's been there, done that, right? Everyone knows that. So, like, if he's back, he's the guy you want for your postseason run. And I don't see anybody else really in the conversation, frankly. So that's going to also, from a market perspective, perhaps increase Kimbrell's value as well. So there's a real chip there if, if, if the Cubs do become sellers. Yeah, and I think uh, obviously we're we're more statistically leaning and we're not the types that are going to crone on and on about how you need to have a proven closer in October. But I think you're right to identify that there are teams who do think that way, and it might not be the most misguided thing to think i mean i think there is some value to having a guy in october at least who's kind of done it before not that it's oh if you don't have this guy you're gonna lose or you need to have a guy who's done it before and your dominant regular season closer if he's never been in the postseason before oh, he's screwed like that's that's not at all what i'm saying but i think there is some value there and, and teams are correctly placing a little bit of value on that and so you're right that does give him more appeal as i'm looking at his numbers here with the cubs Maybe we should have seen this coming. Hmm. So, obviously, his first season with them, horrible. But that was one of those weird situations that we've seen in the past. I'm thinking of guys like Alex Cobb, Kendrys Morales, Stephen Drew, where they sign late into the season, they don't get a spring training, and their numbers just are never good. Yeah. <laughs> like, they never get going because it's such a weird season. And with all of those guys... I wouldn't say all of them. I don't think Stephen Drew ever really bounced back. But with some of those guys, we do see them kind of right the ship the next season. I think Dallas Keuchel might be another example. I, I think he was. Um, where once they get their regular routine back, they kind of do rebound. And looking at some of the base numbers, you don't really see that in Craig Kimbrell's 2020. Uh, but first of all, it was 2020. He threw 15 innings. Like, <laughs> yeah. He didn't. The fact that he didn't look horrible in 15. Like, if if you if you throw 15 innings and you're giving up a run every inning, like I think there's something that can be gleaned from that. But 15 innings, 528 ERA, not good, but it's 15 innings of a reliever. It happens. Uh, so that's that's number one. Number two, he did uh, really turn it on down the stretch. He didn't give up a run in September or October. Uh, he did. Did he pitch in October? He didn't pitch in October. He didn't give up a run in September. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't walk a batter in September. Mm -hmm. He walked eight batters in, in August uh, and, and four more in July. So he, he, his walk rate wasn't great for the season. It was 7.04 walks per nine. 
Uh, but that was really front-loaded. He was dominant for the last month of the season there. And his strikeout rate, and again, we're talking about a 15-inning sample size, so whatever, but his strikeout rate was one of the best of his career. So maybe we should have seen, and, and his fastball velo ticked back up to where it, not not to his prime, because in his prime he was throwing 98, he was averaging 98, 98 and a half on his fastball. That dipped in 2018 with the uh, with the Red Sox, with the whole World Series run and all that, that velo dipped, and it dipped even further in 2019 when he joined the Cubs, and that was, as I mentioned, he didn't get his full spring training or whatever, but it was back to pretty normal in 2020, and it's back to normal again this year. He's sitting 97. So I think yeah. I think it's legit. I think he's back. I think we maybe, I, I don't think we were wrong to look away from him just because of how ugly it looked, but I think maybe, maybe we could have seen it coming, mm-hmm. at least to some extent. Maybe not to this full extent, uh, but you're right there. I think I think his value will only increase yeah. as we go here, as we get a larger sample of him being good Craig Kimbrell, and it'll kind of continue to offset his salary as his salary is paid and less of it is on the hook for the acquiring team. So right. I like a deal like this. I think a deal like this framework, right now, it's a bit of an overpay for the Braves. They're giving up $6 million in value, getting 3.3. I think those numbers could look a lot closer to each other for this same exact deal if we're looking at it in June or July. Exactly. I agree. All right, that was fun. Um, <laughs> so now now all we have left for this episode, um, we have the player updates, which we can get into. We each have some guys identified that uh, you have some general points, and we each have some guys identified that we want to talk about that were either significant increases or decreases. Before we get into that, though, I want uh, one last update on a Cubs player that we've discussed. I believe it was last episode. We talked about Javi Baez, right? Mm-hmm. He... Ever since we talked about him, he's kind of turned it around a little bit. The numbers are still kind of bad, <laughs> especially on the plate discipline side. Uh, they're still worse than last season, which is saying something because his plate discipline last season was awful. Mm-hmm. But they're much better than they were. I believe when we talked about him, he was striking out like 45% of the time, walking like 1%. And those have normalized a little bit. We're at 36.3 strikeout, uh, strikeout rate and a 2.4% walk rate. And... He's been hitting for power. He's been stealing some bases. His BABIP's getting closer to where it's been for his career. He's always been a high BABIP guy because he hits the ball hard and he runs well. And so when all is said and done, he's rocking a 111 WRC plus despite some of the worst plate discipline in the game. So impressive, Javi Baez. I guess we we really got him going by talking bad about him last episode. Yeah. I mean, what? Is it weird that I think of Gary Sanchez as well because he's got the same issues? Like he strikes out too much, doesn't walk, but he hits the ball incredibly hard. So when he does make contact, stuff happens. He's sort of, you know, he's sort of like that. Um, so yeah, he has turned it around. But that that approach is, I mean, you, you mentioned those as improved numbers. He's still striking out thirty six percent of the time. <laughs> Holy moly! <laughs> That's a very fair point. I will say for the Gary Sanchez comparison, uh, at least Javi Baez's defense has never been. Well, true. He's always been a solidly above average defender at a premium position, plus some versatility if you need it from him. Whereas Sanchez, it's I don't think we're ever going to hear the end of whether Sanchez is a catcher or a DH or a first baseman or whatever. I think we're that that's going to follow him throughout his whole career. Yeah, um, yeah, and and Baez certainly has um, 
you know, um, star quality too for marketability too for anybody who wants to trade for him or sign him to a contract after this year. But look, I mean, you look at his numbers; he's still got a 285 on base percentage. He can't even make a 300 number, and that's because of the strikeout issues and walk issues. But he's making up for it with a 504 slugging percentage. So he's, you know, most of his value is coming from that that power, you know, the hard hit. So, and and but that's going to be his his thing, right? You know, he's he, he's not changing his approach at all. He's just saying, all right, I'm going to swing for the fences. I'm going to hit the crap out of this thing as much as possible. I'm going to swing at everything. It's still who he is. That his profile has not changed. He's just running into more of them. That's all I say. I think we're at we're at the point here where I could maybe see a team trading for him at the deadline if the Cubs decided to move him. That's a whole other thing. But if they did, I could see a team trading for him and just betting on that upside for half a season. I wouldn't necessarily be comfortable doing it, but I could see a team doing it. Mm-hmm. I we're nowhere near the point where I could see a team being comfortable giving him a six, seven, eight year deal in the off season. Like I. If this is what the plate discipline looks like now, I would hate to see what it looks like when Javi's 35. Like Exactly. This is prime. I, I don't even want to imagine what that would be. Right. Yeah. So, so you so. know, he, he, look, he, he's, he's uh, I remember when Franklin Barreto was coming up, you know, we thought there were some comparisons to Javi Baez because he had the same exact issues. He was swinging at everything, right? No walks, just tons of strikeouts, but power. And so what, what, he, what these guys sort of, fall back on is their bat speed right javi's thinking i got the bat speed i can i can hit this stuff right but he just swings and misses too much and because he's just not going to take a walk because he trusts his bat speed too much and and that's the sort of the 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 beauty of it because when he does run into it you know it goes far and he hits it hard and he gets on but the bad news is you know he's too much swing and miss so um yeah i I wouldn't trust. And when the bat speed goes, what's left? Exactly. So this is bat speed at, in his prime at age 28, right? So after at, to point after age 30 or so, when it starts to slow down, you got nothing. You got maybe got a defender who can play yeah. second, you know, and that's about it. <clears throat> yeah, he can play some defense. He can run. You got. Is it wrong to say? In a few years, he got Keon Broxton. Yeah. <laughs> like infield Keon Broxton here. Infield. <laughs> With a little bit of power, in, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think of a good comp. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there is one. I don't. We haven't <laughs> seen players go this deep into their career with discipline this bad and yeah. continuing to get worse, but remaining above average producers. So. Right. I, I'm not envious of his agent trying to work out contracts this off season. I'm not envious of any team with a shortstop opening that was at least considering him. Yeah. Previous to twenty, like prior to twenty twenty, um, that seems. And I'm not, I'm not envious of the Cubs trying to figure out whether they should trade him, whether they should extend him, whatever. Uh, it's gonna be a weird situation. I'm fascinated. I'm, I'm so glad we get to watch it from afar. Yeah. Um. But since we're a trade value publication, right now, given the weighing all the pros and cons, you know, he's still only at two point six in surplus in median trade value. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he's still owed 9.7 million and he's only worth 12, so that's what we got. Yeah, yeah. You you imagine if there is a deal, it, it'll involve the Cubs eating a little bit of money or some sort of package thing with Kimbrel, whatever. Could be. Um, the or or Bryant or something along those lines. Like I don't think I don't think teams are gonna match up on Baez alone because I think the Cubs will see the star quality. You don't see, and this is something that we discussed a little bit. 
um, in an email when we were going through the updates. I don't want to spend too long on hobby bias because we got to get to the updates. Yeah. Uh, but just last point here, this is something we kind of briefly discussed. Something I was kind of thinking about was just along the lines of like you see players, these star caliber players, or maybe not star caliber, but star level names, players that are still going to be treated like stars by their current team. So hobby bias fits the profile perfectly. Where the where the Cubs, they might not. They're not. They're going to be more realistic. They're not going to try and market him to other teams as a five-six WAR shortstop, because that's not necessarily what he is anymore. And there's so many question marks. Mm-hmm. But they are going to place some of that star premium on him. And so even though his value at 2.2, and I believe that does have the star bonus uh, accounted for at least to some extent mm-hmm. uh, that that we've talked about before. Uh, but even if his value is at 2.2, they're not just going to trade him for some prospect worth 2.2. You don't see that. Mm, right. E- even in some of the deals when a when a star level player has an underwater contract, like like Nolan Arenado. Nolan Arenado didn't get traded to the Cardinals for just Matt Carpenter and Dexter Fowler and Carlos Martinez or whatever whatever the combination of underwater contracts is to make it even. Like the team will eat some money in order to get a talented player or group of players back that they think could kind of justify trading the guy because otherwise are you if you're the cubs are you trading hobby Baez for even greg dykeman who has, who has double the value essentially at this point i don't i don't think they pull the trigger on that i think they'd rather just ride it out and hope that he's hot enough in the second half that they can give him a qualifying offer and get that draft pick maybe but keep in mind they traded you darvish for four teenagers that nobody had ever heard of so fair <clears throat> very fair <laughs> <laughs> um <clears throat> but since then, one of them has climbed in value and turns out to be a little bit more of a legit prospect. The other ones are just lottery tickets, um, you know, because I think they know they're on the verge of a, a rebuild and they want to where we, I think, agree is that they want upside. And I absolutely agree. If you're trading a player with some star quality who's considered an above average or star even player, uh, star level player, you want some some I won't say equivalent, but some little modicum of upside to offset that you've lost a player with with some of that shine and you want to get a prospect with a little bit of shine back and you'll make it work you make the numbers and money work to get that i agree with that i I think what correct me if i'm wrong what you're kind of saying here is if you're trading a guy like javier baez you don't want and and i guess it's this kind of goes against my point here bringing up the josh donaldson julian merriweather trade Hmm. because that was kind of fairly similar situation where it's a star in decline with just a month or two. I think that was a waiver was, deadline. Yeah, that was August. Uh, it was a, it was so a month. It was just a month of him. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a little bit different there. But they traded a star, former star, in decline with injury issues, whatever, for a mid to late 20s kind of non-prospect type. So maybe that goes against what I'm saying here. But if you're the Cubs, you don't want to trade Baez for a Julian Merriweather type. You want to trade him for somebody who's... 99.9th percentile is another hobby bias or that level of talent as as they're absolute like they have that upside within them and a guy like Merriweather or Greg Dykeman probably doesn't so I mean just to throw out an example here a guy like who's a teenager is like Robert Poisson of the A's who's you know mm-hmm. got some got some uh serious upside i know he's still a kid but uh you know somebody like that or like you know you can go back a few years and, and when um the padres acquired tatis you know um 
it was he was very green and very but he was he, a teenager but somebody like that you know and so they would kick in cash in order to make the numbers work maybe to get that level of upside because <clears throat> at the time uh, we obviously weren't operating but fernando tatis probably would have been a low single digits value type he he's kind of the t- prototypical lottery ticket prospect yeah. he was not not a super heralded international prospect, and he really—I don't think he'd even played stateside yet. Um, yeah. So he really hadn't shown anybody that he was anything more than that yet, and it was just kind of taking a flyer on a guy that Preller really liked at the time. Um, yeah, exactly, and and that's baked but, into but that the is number. Similar framework, yeah. Yeah, I mean, even if you um, like, if you look at Baseball America's prospect handbook, they'll say, you know. You know, upside is 60, risk is extreme. And so you balance that out, right? And that's how they get there. You know, Longenhagen does the same thing at Fangraphs, right? Although he, he balances out into one one generalized number. But um, but you can get a sense of like a, you know, a 60 with extreme risk will be the same as a 50 with a medium risk, you know, because the probability is balanced yeah. out. Yeah, I really like that. I promise this is my last point here. We'll get into the <laughs> updates. I really like... Uh, in recent, it might have been just this year, but it might have been the last two years on fan graphs. Uh, Longenhagen has been kind of including these graphs which, with each player with kind of their like expected range of outcomes, like percentage chance that they become mm-hmm. a one war player. Or what, like, I, I like those. Those are, mm-hmm. <laughs> those are a fun addendum that you can't really, you can't necessarily explain just in a single <laughs> number of this guy's future value is a 55. Right. Uh, but when you go a little bit deeper and look at it, that's how he gets to the 55 maybe because this distribution as opposed to a different distribution. Exactly. I don't know. I like that. <laughs> exactly. And, and I've been meaning to write an article about that actually, because our, you know, our model takes in all of those probabilities into account and ends up with a median of those range of outcomes. Um, and it basically is anticipating what they would be, you know, if they have a 50% shot of making it and then, you know, being a two war player and you modeled out what those, what the numbers would be for two war a year times six years, but there's a 50% chance of that. That's how you end up with those numbers. So it's not something fantasy. It's actually based on that concept. (laughs) Right. All right. Let's get into the updates now. And I'm going to kind of let you take the reins here. You can kind of explain what we did, what you saw on your end. And then I just have a, a handful of hitters I'll mention because as, as usual, we split these up into John handles the pitchers. I handle the hitters and we have some discussion about some of the guys that kind of, kind of raise some eyebrows there. So I'll, yeah. I'll let you go ahead and take it away. So, so um, like we said earlier, we, um, we haven't really um, updated in the past this early, but we thought it would be wise to do so this time because we have enough data I know what's early. I know what's, you know, we, we updated at the end of April, early May, basically after a month of data or sixth of a season, there's still a lot of season left. So we're taking this with a grain of salt, but there are some numbers that moved a little bit more than we were expecting because the performances were, you know, potentially extreme one way or the other. Uh, so I'm going to call out a guy like Kyle Hendricks, who has been rock solid and has, you know, had a lot of trade value in the past up until this last season, but he's having a dreadful year. And at a certain point, you know, one start, okay, fine. Two starts, all right, he's cold. Maybe he hasn't got going yet, but five or six, seven starts, and he's still bad. You know, you're raising your eyebrows at him. This is this is not good, right? So so his that affects his performance estimates, his his projections going forward. And in his case. Because he's on a fixed contract, the fixed contract is not moving as much. If he were a pre-yard player, 
you know, the lower the performance, the lower the potential ARB price would be when he hits his ARB years. And so there's a flexibility there. But in this case, there's not a flexibility. So the performance is going down pretty dramatically. You know, the projections are, but the, but the salary isn't going down as much. So that means he's tanked quite a bit. The same thing happened with Arenado a while ago, you know, before that. Um, when, the, when the big contract is fixed, it's not moving all that much, but the performance is, you've got a differential there. And so he has gone down dramatically, and that's the main reason there. I hope he fixes his problems because I'm a big fan of his. Um, so we'll see. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, uh, two similar names on the hitting side there, just real quick. Yeah. Miguel Sano mm-hmm. signed to a not a giant contract, but a pretty sizable one. I think it's probably about the same ballpark as uh, as Hendricks, uh, at least on a per-year basis, just off the top of my head. Um, he can't hit right now. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, he, he's always been kind of a slow starter. He's never had the best plate discipline he's always walked a fair bit struck out a ton just that kind of prototypical slugger uh but this year it's just not working for him it, it kind of goes in line with everything else with the twins like everything murphy's law everything that could go wrong yeah. for them has to yeah. this point um and then a, a slightly similar case maybe not to the same extent a eugenio suarez mm-hmm. he's been He's been yo-yoed around a little bit this year. Uh, they asked him to play some shortstop, and he just hasn't quite been playing to his career norms, and he's 29, about to turn 30, so he's about to turn that corner where we're solidly into the decline phase, and he's not hitting much, and his defense at shortstop is questionable at best. So not the greatest start to the season for him. We're getting to that point where the fixed contract going against a declining performance is mm-hmm. bringing his value down just like you were kind of mm-hmm. just like you were explaining with Hendrix. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's not a good situation now the flip side is if you had somebody that was really shooting up in performance and their contract was fixed uh freddie peralta for example um you know he signed a, a pretty team-friendly extension uh, about two years ago i think it was and for a while he sort of bounced you weren't sure if he was a reliever or a starter i was thinking he was probably going to be a reliever because that was the, the dominant trend at the time but they've turned him into a starter, and oh my God, what a starter he has been this year! And uh, and we know Milwaukee already had Woodruff and and uh, and Burns who were just off the charts, and now Peralta has joined them as kind of a they've got a big three now, and they've well by the way they've still got Hader and and Devin Williams in the bullpen. I mean that is a scary pitching. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but but Peralta is another example of a guy who's shooting up, and he's going to shoot up even more when we get him, if he continues this run and the sample size gets bigger, because it's because his initial estimate was based on him being a reliever, but the more he starts to turn the tide of A, being a starter, and B, being a really effective starter, he's shooting up. So he's gone from like single digits or you know teens to in the 30s now, and I can see that climbing even more, because again, he's on a fixed contract, so that surplus is going to continue to grow. So that's the flip side of that, how that works. I don't think I necessarily have a hitting example on that. Yeah. The the kind of fixed contract. I have a couple, a couple of the guys on those more affordable, team friendly type contracts actually decreased a little bit, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, there, there's a couple, there's a couple guys kind of along those lines. I'm looking at like a Cedric Mullins. Yep. Where he's not necessarily on the fixed contract, but he fits that mold of like in his pre-arb years, really having a breakout here. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he if he keeps it going, it's going to continue. And and because he's not on a fixed contract, the arbitration estimates will increase along with his uh, with his uh, his value. But he's still very much trending in the right direction. And, and I've noticed the value tends to outpace the arbitration estimates just because that's kind of how arbitration works. You don't get paid what you're worth. Yep. So 
he he is looking. He's got a big green arrow right now uh, as one of those kind of younger younger hitters that are turning the corner right now. Absolutely. Um, another guy. Well, since we're talking about fixed contracts, I'll squeeze this one in. Um, Garrett Cole. Um, like everyone notices how great Degrom is, and sometimes they talk about Garrett Cole. But Garrett Cole has been nothing but great as well. He's absolutely elite. His numbers are amazing. And and the other thing he he brings is durability. I mean, the guy never gets hurt. And he is just, you know, every start he's delivering. And so when the Yankees signed that deal, it was like, whoa. It seemed like an overpay based on our, our calculations as well. But, like, they really stretched to, to give him all that money. But now it's actually turned to, instead of a negative, it's now actually a positive. And we had to use the old Mike Trout. I had to use the old Mike Trout model. Like, okay, wait. <laughs> he's making $36 million a year, and he's worth even more than that. And, um, like, how high, how high would theoretically a team go, like, for that long a period? Would they, is his ceiling, is it, you know, would you spend $40 million on a, a year on a, on a start? So I had to calculate based on the Mike Trout model, which has been kind of a, almost a running joke for us. Like, there's a guy that's worth so much that, like – no, he really, you know, that's that's not real. So you have to kind of imagine what the what the ceiling is and go from there. Um, so in his case, he's turned positive into the 30s because, you know, that's that's still a huge contract and he's going to decline when he gets older. But at the moment, he is just rocking and rolling. And so Yankees ended up being a, that that ended up being a good bet for them. Yeah, and people talking a lot about Corbin Burns, especially today. Um, and very deservedly so. He's had an insane start to the season. Uh, today, he finally walked his first batter. I think it was 57. Ah, walk. <laughs> he had that going. Pretty sure, yeah, <laughs> pretty sure that was the major league record yep. uh, to start a season at least. Yep. Uh, but very quietly, and it's shocking that it's quiet considering that he's in New York and he's such a big name. Uh, but very quietly, I think Garrett Cole is on a little streak of his own. Um, he has walked a few batters this season, but he's currently, I think, on a streak of like 50 strikeouts since his last walk. He's rolling, and, and you're very right there. He's uh, – I, I don't have any problem, and I, I personally do still have DeGrom just a tick above him, and I think that's probably fair. Mm-hmm. But, man, don't sleep on Garrett Cole. He's <laughs> he's insane. Yeah. Um, and, and while we're just talking about – uh, about that type of that class of character, I wanna, I wanna take a moment here, and we don't get as many opportunities for this as I would like to because we're a trade value podcast, and that doesn't necessarily, uh, that's not necessarily relevant to this guy. But I think we need a quick Mike Trout appreciation moment here. Yes, He's indeed, insane. indeed, we do. <laughs> and it, uh, I, I, we could start a Mike Trout podcast if we really <laughs> wanted to, but, but. It's just so satisfying, like, so the process for this, and, and I think we, we go about it different ways at different times, and I don't know if we've ever talked too in-depth at how individually we each do it, uh, but I prefer to just go alphabetical order through all the hitters. That That's the way I feel safest and most confident that I didn't just miss a guy. Mm-hmm. And so if we are getting close to the deadline, we will prioritize some of those more likely trade candidates, but especially now. I just wanted to get through them all in order. And it's, as I've, I think I've mentioned on the, in the past on this podcast, it's kind of fun to get a little little update of how some of these guys are doing that you wouldn't necessarily see every day. Mm-hmm. I don't follow the NL Central super closely, but I get to see that, oh, Mike Moustakas is doing this or whatever, whoever the player is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you go through all this in alphabetical order, and there's a lot of names on there that have, you know, they're, they're former stars. I'm thinking about the Albert Pujols, the... Giancarlo Stanton, who 
he's still a star, but these underwater contracts where regardless of how well they're performing, they're getting older, they're into their decline years, their value's probably going to keep going down. So you plug into the numbers and you can, it can get a little tiring because most players' values do go down because they're getting older and their cheapest production is happening right now. Mm-hmm. And that we just lost that. If they were, if they had a good month in April, like you're not gonna trade for that. That's gone now. And mm-hmm. all that's ahead of him is for the, for whatever given player is performance of them at an older age and potentially making more money, lower surplus. Mm-hmm. So you you can kind of get. I don't want to say down, but yeah, you can kind of get down <laughs> going through a lot of hitters that you like, or even ones that you don't like as much, but. Just, just players and seeing that all of their values are decreasing and it, it's how it works and having a lower value doesn't mean you're a worse player but it can be a little bit disappointing so it's always satisfying to go to Mike Trout <laughs> and plug in his insane numbers he has a 478 Woba right now yes. he has a 216 WRC Woo! plus he's accumulated two and a half wins in a yeah. month <laughs> this this man's insane. Uh, granted, he has a 484 BABIP, but if anybody could sustain a 484 BABIP, it's Mike Trout. Yep. <laughs> he's not going to. Uh, let, let me let me be clear about that. He's not going to. I hope he does, but he's not going yeah. to. But it's just so fun to get to his name. And since it's like a little later in the alphabet, you get to his name. You get to plug in the ridiculous numbers. You get to watch the silly Mike Trout numbers <laughs> continue to increase. Like like in the in the main columns that are that are how we calculate the values for most players. His numbers are just bonkers. <laughs> and then you have to look over a couple columns to the side to see the Mike Trout adjustment. <laughs> as, as you mentioned with Garrett Cole, and we've also had to apply to guys like Ronald Acuna. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> it's just so fun. It, it's it's it, like this time when I went around and did it. So it, it's usually a multi-day thing, at least on my end. I can't sit down from when I wake up to when I go to bed and just update these guys. I think my eyes yeah. will fall out. So it's it's a multi-day project, and I remember specifically I was getting pretty tired one night. I was like, all right, I'm just going to push through these last few T's, and I'm going to start my day off tomorrow by getting to update Mike Trout's value. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it, it made me look forward to finishing up the values the next day. Like, I get to start with Mike Trout and just start on this high. I don't know. That's such a nerdy little thing that, like, only a handful of people could relate to. I get world. it. But it's... It, Yep, it's fun. It is. I, you, you of all people could get it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. This, this, in case it wasn't clear, this is a very pro Mike Trout podcast, and uh, yeah, he's fun. Watch him. I'm with you all the way, and uh, absolutely. Cheers from Mike Trout. I mean, he doesn't get enough attention, despite the fact that he's playing for a team that calls themselves the LA something. Um, he should be getting a lot of media attention, given that he's in that town where you know. 50 miles south of it but um yeah okay fine <clears throat> but but yeah we are it just reiterate we are witnessing you know one of the greatest players ever right now in our midst and he doesn't get nearly the attention he should being that great because he's kind of a quiet personality he just does it you know yeah henry aaron was the same way and he ended up being amazing so you know we're seeing just numbers year after year after year after year. And after a while, you're like, okay, <laughs> you know, I get it. But but you really yeah. have to appreciate it, you know, because it is amazing. <clears throat> I almost – I don't I don't want to go too far on this tangent. I know it's it's late where you are, and we're getting pretty long on the podcast. we got a few more names to go through here. But I, I think it might be even better, at least 
from a fan from from our perspective it might be better that he's not in new york and i think he he would agree that's why he stayed in yeah los angeles slash anaheim whatever he stayed kind of out of the spotlight i think if he were in the spotlight and getting some more of the attention that he deserves i still think he wouldn't be getting the type of attention he deserves because i think at that point you'd be getting into kind of lebron territory where every conversation about him is going to be arguments over whether he is or isn't the greatest and comparing him to willie mays babe ruth uh, barry bonds etc yeah Mickey Mantle, especially if he was gonna, if he was in New York, yeah. But so I, I appreciate that we don't have to deal with that discourse, and we can kind of just enjoy him. And I just hope that when all is said and done, as a baseball community, we can all just kind of agree about how good he is. Presuming, <laughs> presuming the second half of his career goes the way it goes according to plan and doesn't end up more like an Albert Pujols second half. I think that was kind of a scary thing that popped into my mind as all the Pujols stuff was going down, was just how similar, like very different players, obviously, but how similarly dominant they were for the first half of their careers and how much I don't want the second half of Trout's career to look like the second half of Pujols. Yeah. Because if if the second half of Trout's career continues on this pace, we are talking about Ruth Bond's territory. We are. And that's just so much more fun than being a top three top five player in the history of the game is just it's exponentially more fun than being a top 30 player like like pools probably is and i I just pulled that 30 number off the top of my head so he might be even higher than that but yeah and yeah that's a that's a little mike trout rant for you yeah yeah and just to close out (laughs) i'll let you finish yeah yeah which to close up he's done it despite things like the shift things like changing baseballs is it juice is it not juice is it heavier is it not like he doesn't care he just keeps doing it you know so the circumstances don't matter um and that's that's another amazing thing okay back to our back to our sorry sorry i (laughs) okay i need to say one more thing he god we should just do a mike trout episode one of these days (laughs) just go off the rails but anyway it's insane to me that, like, arguably his worst season came during the pandemic, which, like, you can excuse that. Mm-hmm. But it was arguably his worst season, and he slugged 6.03. Yep, he did. <laughs> that's right. With the 162 <laughs> WRC+. Plus. What is this? That's that's bad Mike Trout there. That's what it is. That's bad Mike Trout. <laughs> I wish I was as good at anything as bad Mike Trout is at baseball. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Anyway, let's back. Let's finish up our our category here, which is the updates and just a yes. couple of key key points. I'm just circling names that that represent something. Um, real quickly, Carlos Rodon thought he was done. He was a reliever because he couldn't make it as a starter. He total failed career. What the heck happened there? He's amazing now. Throws a no hitter. Been really good because his value is starting to go up again, as you can imagine. Um. TJ Antone, I think, is really interesting. And uh, here's why. Because we have his value yeah. at, at at 21-something right now. And that's pretty high for a guy who's used as a reliever. Um, but it's because he's still got six years of control. And he's already been shown himself to be very effective. And he still potentially, could potentially be a starter. So he's got a number of positives going for him. And those are factored into his numbers a little bit. The, but... 
you know, for a lot of relievers, you know, their values are in the single digits. And I do the relievers, and I can tell you it's the tedious part of this job. It's like, oh, so many fringy guys <laughs> who have only pitched six or innings or ten innings or whatever, and, like, they're fringy, and, like, yeah, there's ones, there's twos, there's negative. You know, there's not much going on. Other, there's not a huge value gap there. Um, but everyone, so why you get, like, TJ Anto? Really? And you plug his numbers in, like, 21? Yeah, yeah, that, that checks out. It would be, and it's going to go up even higher the more he does that. It's not that he's amazing or anything. He's just yeah. a really solid uh, performer so far with a lot of control, a lot of cheap control ahead of him. So that's going to happen once in a while. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of in that Brad Peacock-esque mold yeah. of the multi-inning reliever who could start who, but has the talent to close even. Yeah. And I'm, I'm weirdly even more optimistic about him than I am about Peacock because it seems like Antone is a big late bloomer type. Yeah. Uh, he had a velo spike that kind of contributed to his breakout these last two years. Uh, I think he went to driveline. I'm pretty sure he's one of those types. And, and so I could see him as a type that's kind of, that's more predictive of the future of pitching in a way that Peacock wasn't, if that makes sense. Like yeah. Peacock was that like super swingman type. And there were a couple others like him, but all of them seemed like they settled into a role eventually. Whereas I could see Antone continuing throughout his career as the game continues to evolve and move away from the traditional starting rotation. I could see him be the type that really is season after season gets five or ten starts and maybe even five or ten saves. Like that's the way that he's used. I could see that. Obviously way too early to project that. And and I I don't know if that's even relevant to his value, but just... I like him a lot. He's very interesting. Yeah, and he would be a perfect fit on the Rays should they decide to trade for yeah. Well, <laughs> for example, we've got I've seen some proposals in there anyway. Um, uh, yeah, because he seems to be a, a perfect Razy kind of character. Um, can start, he can close, he can do whatever. He's a bulk arm. He's he's good, you know. So he's cheap. <clears throat> anyway, so that's one one way to think about it. All right, I think that's enough from my side of things. You you got any more? I just have a few names to fly through real quick. Um, I'll start with some of the negatives here. So, Jose Abreu, uh, I always forget. Did he win the MVP last year, or was that Ramirez? I, I knew no, it was Abreu. between the two of them. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, so, MVP year last season really made me look stupid. I had a lot of White Sox fans digging up a tweet from when they, <laughs> when they extended him. I was not a big fan of the contract. I thought he was a post-prime aging deep into his decline first base only with bad defense and no OBP skills. Yeah. Like, I thought that contract was awful. I did and too. I, I stand by that a little yeah. bit. He just kind of went out of his mind for a couple months and it seems like he's maybe fallen back to earth a little bit this year. Um, I'm not going to write him off right away because I've already <laughs> fooled me once, you know, Yeah. but he's not really, he's not performing anywhere near that level. He's performing much better and he's actually walking a lot, which is, good to see from him he's performing a lot better than he was in the couple seasons leading up to 2020 but he's he's not going to produce at 2020 levels going forward and so he's decreased um Kevin Biggio just a rough start to the season he's another one of those young guys he's got all the prospect value but the deeper he gets into his career the less of his prospect value makes up his actual uh blended value there so he's going to need to pick it up otherwise his his value will continue to decline uh, Mitch Garver, just another victim of everything going wrong for the Twins. Mm, <laughs> um, yeah. he, he's, his defense isn't the greatest. His bat 
was pretty bad in 2020 and it's continuing to be pretty bad in 2021. So he went from being a really exciting breakout catcher, one of the best in baseball, to a huge question mark. He's losing starts to guys like, well, I think he might be hurt right now, but he has been losing starts to guys like Ryan Jeffers and Ben Mortvitz, yep. who aren't real people. Didi <laughs> Gregorius. Hey, don't, don't upset my Minnesota Twins fan friends, okay? <laughs> Hey, 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 oh, this has been an episode full of tangents, but Ben, uh, my my roommate sent me a picture of him when he was called up. He's jacked. He's like Yandy Diaz levels. Wow. Pure muscle. Got some biceps. Has not shown it at all in in the minor leagues. Okay. Yeah, he's he's a large man. All right. Anyway. Um, Didi Gregorius signed pretty late into the offseason, and I think we had it as a bit of an overpay when he did. He's off to a slow start, so he's continued to decline as well. I already mentioned Snow and Suarez. Um, I think those are all of my notable decreases. Um, and then just a couple of increases. I mentioned Cedric Mullins. Um, CJ Crone, who I mentioned earlier in the episode, was performing well. Uh, we performed these updates before he was hurt. Uh, so he was ticking up a little bit and looking like the type that could at least get the Rockies a, a lottery ticket at the deadline. Um, a little bit in question now with the injury, but... He's hitting. He's predictably hitting well in Coors. Um, and, and then the last one I want to talk about here, probably the most notable of of all of these on my end, at least from a trades perspective, is Chris Bryant. Mm-hmm. He's been performing very well, continue to perform very well, and so his value continues to increase. As as we kind of mentioned, he's got this fixed salary that's only going to decrease as the more as time goes on. But if he continues to perform at a level Honestly, he's performing at a level better than he ever has in his career. Yeah. <laughs> and if he continues to do so, it's just going to pull his value up. And mm-hmm. as his salary continues to decrease, that means his surplus is only going to continue to increase. Mm-hmm. So it's looking it's looking very good for the Cubs, at least at this point. We're only a month into the season. Everything could fall apart, whatever. But at least at this point, it's looking like a very good decision by them to hang on to him into the season and, and either – trade him at the deadline or hang on for the qualifying offer yeah yeah and if uh, kimbrell continues to increase then they've got two good chips there plus a few others as well but i mean it's offset by the fact that hendrix has taken a real dive um so you know but you know maybe they can wait around for maybe if hendrix bounces back because they've got him under control for a couple more years you know yeah they got some time on him yeah yeah all right. Well, that's yeah. good. Um, one other one I did mention earlier in the podcast, I just want to see this last one, um, is Richard Rodriguez, who's been really consistently good. Like I said, probably not a closer, but when the deadline comes around, people are going to need a guy like Richard Rodriguez in their bullpen. Really solid, eighth-inning guy, uh, most likely. Pirates, obviously, you know, will trade any veterans. They're open for business, so I can see him moving and, and getting a good return. So he's been climbing up in reliever terms. He's in the higher single digits, six or seven or eight. He'll, he'll be in that range. So, he, you know, that's one decent-ish 45-level prospect or two, you know, 40s. That's nothing to shake, nothing to sneeze at. So that, that'll be something to watch. Okay, that's the last one I wanted to squeeze in. <clears throat> yeah. Your, I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but your ability to identify some of these relievers before everyone else does is like, it's it's Jeff Sullivan. <laughs> it's like Jeff Sullivan. Okay. And that's what got him hired by the Rays. So uh, any any teams listening right now, please don't hire John away. I, I need him for this. I couldn't do this by myself. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Thank you, Josh. All right. That was a fun episode. That, that 
went a little longer than we expected, but I mean, they always do weeks of stuff and yeah. we haven't talked in forever. And we had a, we had a lot of fun with it. We talked about Mike Trout. That's always a good time. Mm-hmm. All right. So that will do it for this week. We are inching closer and closer to the deadline. So <laughs> we might see a few more minor deals and, and a few more rumors popping up the next few weeks. So we'll be sure to cover those in our next episode, but thank you all so much for listening this week. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. I know we've fluctuated a little bit from our every other week schedule, uh, but we'll be trying to stick to that going forward as much as we can and updating on Twitter when we can't. We will be back in a couple weeks, as of as of now at least, if nothing else comes up. <laughs> we'll be back in a couple weeks to break down more off-season news and updates. Oh, not off-season. We're in the season in now, season. silly. This, this whole outro is a disaster. <laughs> we'll be back in a couple weeks to break down news and updates. So until then, stay safe and enjoy the season. Thanks, John. Thanks, Josh.